turning in your Bibles this morning to 1 Kings chapter 14. First Kings chapter 14, we want to begin reading at the first verse. At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, fell sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Arise, I pray thee, and disguise thyself, that thou be not known to be the wife of Jeroboam, and get thee to Shiloh. Behold, there is Ahijah, the prophet, which told me that I should be king over this people. And take with thee ten loaves and cracknels and a cruse of honey and go to him. He shall tell thee what shall become of the child. And Jeroboam's wife did so and arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. But Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were set by reason of his age. And the Lord said unto Ahijah, Behold, the wife of Jeroboam cometh to ask a thing of thee for her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus shalt thou say unto her. For it shall be, when she cometh in, that she shall feign herself to be another woman. And it was so, when Ahijah heard the sound of her feet, as she came in at the door, that he said, Come in, thou wife of Jeroboam. Why feignest thou thyself to be another? For I am sent to thee with heavy tidings. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we pray that each one of us would allow your spirit to speak to our hearts from these words today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we want to think about this question that the prophet Ahijah asked the wife of Jeroboam. Why feignest thou thyself to be another? That is a piercing and a penetrating question if we will allow the Spirit of God to use it as such in our lives. It's true whether we're saved or whether we're lost. That question cuts right to the heart of what we are by nature. Jeremiah 17, 9 is a verse that we hear often in this church. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The next verse, verse 10, goes on to tell us the only one who does know our heart. And that's God himself. But there's two things in this verse, Jeremiah 17, 9, that we don't want to miss. The first one is that deceit is the number one characteristic of our heart. Second one is that there is nothing more deceitful than our heart. If you look that word deceitful up, and honestly, I had never done that before. 
It's word 6121 in the Hebrew Dictionary of the Strong's Concordance. And one of the meanings of that word is insidious. Well, like I tell the kids so many times, you sometimes, the definition that you get requires you to keep looking. Well, this is that case. What is insidious? Well, if you look that word up, you'll find that one of the primary meanings of that word is subtle. Subtle. And so what the Spirit of God is telling us about ourselves is that our heart is deceitful. Our heart is subtle above all things. That word subtle is a very critical word. And we'll see why if you will keep your place here in 1 Kings 14 and turn back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Look at verse 1. Genesis 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent. And who is the serpent? The serpent is the devil. The serpent is Satan. And what is the first, what is the number one characteristic of the serpent, of the devil and Satan? He was more subtle. More subtle. He was more insidious. He was more deceitful. That's why God says of you and me that our heart is deceitful. Our heart is insidious. Our heart is subtle. Above all things. And the Lord Jesus Christ makes the connection between Genesis 3 and verse 1 and Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 in John chapter 8 and verse 44. Where he says, ye, that word is plural, That word doesn't just refer to the Jews, to the people who were physically standing before him in 32 AD. It refers to every person who has ever lived. Ye are of your father the devil. Folks, our heart is deceitful. Our heart is insidious and subtle above all things because we have the heart of our father the devil. And one of the primary manifestations of our uh, subtle and insidious and deceitful heart is feigning ourselves to be another. And I would suggest a thought to you here. And that is that the first two people in all of history to feign themselves to be another are right here in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve... Sinned. We read about their sin here in verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Adam and Eve now have a heart that is deceitful above all things. They now have a heart that is insidious and subtle, just like the serpents. 
And notice the first thing that Adam and Eve did. Verse 7. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. I would suggest that they made themselves, they feigned themselves to be another. They feigned themselves to be people whose nakedness, whose shame, whose sin was covered. They, they feigned themselves to be people who had need of nothing further. All they needed was the works of their hands. But God saw them as they really were. Because God sees when we feign ourselves to be another. He sees through what we feign to be on the outside. Because the Lord seeth not as man seeth. Man looketh on the outward appearance. We might fool the people around us when we feign ourselves to be another. But we don't fool God. Because the Lord looketh on the heart. God saw Adam and Eve not as another, as they feigned themselves to be, but as they really were. Wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And God asks four questions here. Where art thou? In verse 9. Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? In verse 11. And what is this that thou hast done in verse 13? And all four of those questions, I believe, go back to this question that we're considering this morning. Why feignest thou thyself to be another? Why feignest thou thyself to be another? That question captures the deceitfulness of our heart. Turn over close where we are in 1 Kings 14 to 1 Kings chapter 22. 1 Kings chapter 22. Here in this chapter, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, goes down to Ahab, the wicked king of Israel. And the reason that Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat felt the need to do that is because his son, Jehoram, had married the daughter of Ahab. And as a result of that, these two kings were joined together by the marriage of their children. This is why in verse 4, when Ahab asked Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, wilt thou go with me to battle? Ramoth Gilead, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as thou art, my people as thy people, my horses as thy horses. We're united. We're one family here. The only request that Jehoshaphat makes is there in verse 5. Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of of the Lord today. Now that meant one thing to Ahab. It meant another thing to Jehoshaphat. And what it meant to Ahab was to call 400 prophets 
400 prophets. And to ask them if, if they should go up to Ramoth Gilead. And they all have the same answer. Go up to Ramoth Gilead. For the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. Jehoshaphat isn't comfortable because these 400 prophets agree. And so he says in verse 7, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? And there is a prophet of the Lord there. A man by the name of Micaiah. But Ahab says he hates him. Because he never prophesied good concerning Ahab. What, what Ahab is saying is Micaiah was always sent to me with heavy tidings from the Lord. And I'm not interested in heavy tidings. And so at Jehoshaphat's request, he says, uh, let's, let's call him. And so they do call Micaiah. And he doesn't prophesy good. The tidings that he comes with from the Lord are heavy tidings concerning Ahab. He says in verse 17, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. The reason that Micaiah sees Israel without a shepherd the reason that they have no master is because Ahab is going to be killed in the battle. These 400 prophets are lying to Ahab. The Lord had put a lying spirit in the mouths of these prophets to tell Ahab to go up to Ramoth Gilead because he's going to die in the battle. And the Lord tells Ahab this. He tells him through Micaiah that these prophets are lying this is another example to me of the Lord's mercy. He's telling Ahab, these people are lying to you. You're going to die if you go up to that battle. The Lord gives Ahab one last opportunity to repent and turn to him. And Ahab refuses. He turns away from that opportunity. He refuses to call on the Lord. He rejects the message of the truth. And he commands that Micaiah be taken to prison. And be fed with the bread of affliction and the water of affliction. And you can imagine what that would have been like. And he says, you keep him in prison until I return in peace. Now think about that. God said that Ahab was not going to return in peace. And yet Ahab says he is going to return in peace. This is the deception of our heart that God describes in Jeremiah 17, 9. Ahab's heart is deceived. And what is the manifestation of the deception of his heart? Well, look at verse 29. So the king of Israel... And Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, Notice, I will disguise myself and enter into the battle. But put thou on thy robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into the battle. You don't need a lot of uh, allies like Ahab. 
who tells you, I'm going to disguise myself. You put on your kingly robes and we're going to head up to the battle. Notice Ahab, in an attempt to save himself, in an attempt to escape the judgment of God, what does he do? He feigns himself to be another. He feigns himself to be another. But it didn't work. Look at verse 34. And a certain man drew a bow at a venture and smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. Wherefore he said unto the driver of his chariot, Turn thine hand and carry me out of the host, for I am wounded. And the battle increased that day, and the king was stayed up in his chariot against the Syrians and died at even. A certain man drew a bow at a venture. In other words, a soldier drew his bow at random. And he just shot an arrow, not aiming at any particular target, not aiming at any particular soldier, but God was aiming. God guided that arrow right to the joint, right to the seam where Ahab's armor joined together, right to the only place where an arrow could pierce Ahab. And it did. And Ahab died just as God said. Feigning himself to be someone else could not deliver Ahab from the judgment of God. And it will not deliver you either. It will not deliver me either. But what happened to a wicked king can also happen to a godly king. Look over at 2 Chronicles chapter 35, if you will. 2 Chronicles chapter 35. Here we read about King Josiah. Of Judah. We're told of this man in 2 Kings 23 and verse 25 that like unto him there was no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might. Neither after him arose there any like him. Now, with that in mind, look at 2 Chronicles chapter 35 and verse 20. After all this, we don't have time to talk about what after all this is. But after all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, you remember he had sent men into the temple to repair the temple, and they had found the book of the law there in the house of the Lord, and and they had read it to the king, and Josiah had repented. He had turned to the Lord, as we just read, with all his soul and with all his heart and with all his might, and he led Uh, Judah in a great revival. Uh, Verse 18 of this chapter says, There was no Passover like, like to that kept in Israel from the days of Samuel. This man loved the Lord. He loved his word and he was leading the people of Judah in a great revival. After all this, that's what we're talking about. When Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, King of Egypt came up to fight against Carchemish by Euphrates. 
And Josiah went out against him. Now look at verse 22. Well, let's read verse 21. But he sent ambassadors to him, that is, Necho, the king of Egypt, saying, What have I to do with thee, thou king of Judah? I come not against thee this day, but against the house wherewith I have war. For God commanded me to make haste. Forbear thee from meddling with God who is with me, that he destroy thee not. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him. So Josiah goes out to the battle. He's got, Nico has come to fight at a place called Carchemish in Babylon. And, and the Lord sends a message by him to Josiah, look, don't you go out and meddle with this battle. You forbear. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him. Notice, but disguised himself that he might fight with him. And hearken not unto the words of Necho from the mouth of God and came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. God is working here. He is working, as Dr. Henry Morris points out in his Defender Study Bible, He's working so that Babylon is not defeated. He's working because he's going to use Babylon to exercise his judgment against Judah. But not in Josiah's day. Because Josiah's heart was tender and because he humbled himself before the Lord, his eyes were not going to see the evil that the Lord was going to bring upon Judah, because of their sin and rebellion, the judgment that he was going to bring through Babylon. And so at the battle of Carchemish, the Assyrians and the Egyptians are defeated by the Babylonians. And God didn't want Josiah interfering and meddling with what he was doing. But Josiah's heart deceived him. He would not listen to the word of God. And again, notice the manifestation of his deception in verse 22. Josiah disguised himself. In other words, he feigned himself to be another. To cover, to disguise his rebellion and disobedience to the word of God. And it cost him his life. Josiah is killed at this battle. Why feignest thou thyself to be another? can have very, very serious consequences. It's a question that exposes our deceitful heart. Now let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 14. Verse 1, at that time, at that time, here, here's another one of these little phrases that takes us back, that refers back to the events of chapter 13. 
In chapter 13, Jeroboam was confronted with the message from heaven. Heavy tidings, by the way. He was confronted by the man of God who came and prophesied against his faults and his pagan altar. That altar was going to be cast down. The ashes were going to spew forth. And Jeroboam put his hand forth against the man of God. And his hand dried up. And the altar was rent and the ashes poured forth just exactly the way the man of God said it would. Well, Jeroboam wanted the the man of God to entreat the Lord for his hand. I mean, his hand is dried up. And the man of God did that. He besought the Lord for Jeroboam, and his hand was restored. So here's Jeroboam seeing all of these miracles. But the word of the Lord and the sign that was given concerning the altar and the healing of his withered hand had no effect upon Jeroboam. Look at chapter 13 and verse 33. After this, Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, but made again of the lowest of the people priests of the high places. Whosoever would, he consecrated him, and he became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing became sin unto the house of Jeroboam even to cut it off and destroy it from off the face of the earth. In other words, as we see there in verse 33, after this thing Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, he doubled down. He doubled down on his sin and rebellion. This is what the opening words of verse 1 of chapter 14 at that time are referring to. And so the Lord's dealing with him. And so at that time, When Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, the son of Jeroboam fell sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Arise, I pray thee, and disguise thyself, that thou be not known to to be the wife of Jeroboam, and get thee to Shiloh. Behold, there is Ahijah the prophet, which told me that I should be king over this people. Jeroboam is in trouble. His son is sick. And who does he turn to? Does he turn to the golden calf in Bethel? Does he turn to the golden calf that he set up in Dan? No, he sends his wife to Ahijah, the prophet of God. That's what people do when they're in trouble, isn't it? Their idols and their religion are fine. Going and living and doing their own will and their own way, it's fine until they're in real trouble. And then what do they do? They send to the Lord. And Jeroboam's very clever here, subtle. He sends his wife. To Ahijah the prophet. And the Spirit of God gives us a very important detail here. In this second verse, a detail that He doesn't have to give us. 
He could have just told us that Jeroboam told his wife to get thee to Ahijah the prophet. But the Lord tells us where, where Ahijah was. He was in Shiloh. The Lord wanted us to know that. And the question is why? Well, I'll give you a thought. First of all, Shiloh is a person. Shiloh is a person. We won't take time to turn back there, but in Genesis 49, Jacob gives his final words to his sons. And his final words to them are prophecies concerning each of them. And in Genesis 49 and verse 10, Jacob says concerning his son Judah, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Now who is Shiloh that Jacob says is going to come? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Shiloh is an Old Testament name for the Lord Jesus. So Shiloh is a person. Here we see that Shiloh is a place. A place where people can come and hear the word of the Lord. Now let me ask you a question. Do we have a place like that today? I believe we do. We read about that place in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 20. Where the Lord Jesus said, For where, where, two or three are gathered together in my name, that is Shiloh the place. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. There is Shiloh the person. The Lord Jesus Christ. And what is Matthew 18.20 describing? It's describing the local church. It's describing the local church. The place where Shiloh, the Lord Jesus, meets with his people. That's why the Spirit of God tells us where Jeroboam sent his wife. And he tells us that because Shiloh is the key in this chapter to understanding the personal message that's here for you and me. How did Jeroboam send his wife? And how did she go to Shiloh? She went there disguised. But more than disguised, she went, as we see in verse 6, feigning herself to be another. Folks, isn't that how we come to Shiloh? Isn't that how we come to the local church many times? Do we not come in disguise? Do we not come feigning ourselves to be another? Christians come to Shiloh. Disguised, deceived by their own heart, 
feigning ourselves to be obedient Christians like Josiah, for example. Feigning ourselves to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. We're going to go forth to war. That's the outward appearance. But the truth is that when the Lord Jesus sees, when he sees beyond our disguise, when he looks on our hearts, what he sees are believers who are entangled with the affairs of this life. Believers who are entangled with the world and the things of the world. And all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And yet we come to Shiloh feigning ourselves to be another. Christians come to Shiloh deceived by our own heart. Feigning ourselves to be obedient Christians. Like Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. Ananias and his wife Sapphira came to Shiloh. They came to the local New Testament church there in Jerusalem disguised. They were deceived by their own heart. And the manifestation of their deception is that they came to Shiloh feigning themselves to be another. They came to Shiloh feigning themselves to have given to have surrendered all. When the truth is, they had not. They had kept back something for themselves. Have we ever come to Shiloh like that? Feigning ourselves to be another. Feigning ourselves to be someone who has surrendered all. And yet we haven't. We've held back some little corner of our heart, some little corner of our life, some little pet sin that we want to hold on to. Why would we do that? For the same reason that Jeroboam's wife did. Look at the last part of verse 6. Why feignest thou thyself to be another? For I am sent to thee with heavy tidings. We come to Shiloh and we feign ourselves to be another because we don't want to hear the heavy tidings. We don't want to hear the, the heavy tidings that the message from heaven is sent to us with. Heavy tidings like Matthew chapter 10 beginning in verse 37, where the Lord Jesus said, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. That's the heavy tidings that the message from heaven is sent to us with. And the way that we, or one of the ways that we deal with that message is by feigning ourselves to be another. Feigning ourselves to be someone who has surrendered all. There's nothing between my soul and the Savior. Isn't that what we sing? When the truth is we've kept something back. 
And many times that something is our family. Our family. Our father, our mother, our wife, our husband, our children. We know the Lord today. Will we allow the Spirit of God as we're gathered here in this Shiloh, with Shiloh, the Lord Jesus Christ, will we allow him to confront us with that question? Why feignest thou thyself to be another? If you're lost today, you've come to Shiloh and you're feigning yourself to be another because you don't want to hear the heavy tidings that the message from heaven brings to you. The heavy tidings that there is none good. No, not one. The heavy tidings that whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. That's why God says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin is the transgression of the law, and you and me have transgressed it. Have you ever told a lie? Then you're guilty of all. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. Those are the heavy tidings of the Word of God. The heavy tidings that it's appointed unto men once to die. But after this, the judgment. And the judgment is that whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. But what does your deceitful heart say to you? Your deceitful heart says the same thing to you that your father the devil said to Adam and Eve. The same thing that Ahab's deceitful heart said to him. Ye shall not surely die. I will return in peace. And so what do you do? You feign yourself to be someone else. You feign yourself to be a Christian through your works. Maybe you've raised your hand. Maybe you've walked an aisle. Maybe you've repeated a prayer. Maybe you've been baptized. Maybe you've joined the church. You have all this outward disguise that allows you to feign yourself to be a Christian. You may have everybody else fooled, but you haven't fooled God. Look at verse 5. And the Lord said unto Ahijah, now think about it. She's disguised. She's the wife of the king of Israel. I guarantee you her disguise was excellent. Her disguise would have been the best that money could buy, the best that a king could provide. And the Lord said unto Ahijah, Behold, the wife of Jeroboam cometh. <laughs> he saw her, didn't he? She wasn't disguised from the Lord. To ask a thing of thee for her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus shalt thou say unto her. For it shall be when she cometh in 
that she shall feign herself to be another woman. God sees through every outward disguise that we have. Every attempt that we have to feign ourselves to be another. Jeroboam's wife didn't fool God. And neither are you. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. This morning you need to take off the disguise. This morning you need to stop feigning yourself to be another. You need to see yourself as God sees you. Wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And repent of your sin. And ask the Lord Jesus Christ to save you. And he will. And he will. And in exchange for your disguise of filthy rags, he'll clothe you with the garments of salvation. He'll cover you with the robe of his righteousness. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are amazed at your word. The message that's in every verse. The message that's here in this sixth verse. Why feignest thou thyself to be another? What a critical question that is for every person here. For those who are lost. For those who are saved. And we pray this morning that we would put down our guard, that we would put down our shield of defense, and that we would allow the Spirit of God to take that question and use it in our hearts to expose our hearts to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.